Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch. It's great to be back in the studio to bring you another inspirational story. Uh, Before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge our friends in Nashville um, after the tornado that took place on Tuesday morning and really send our thoughts and prayers to them. I have no doubt that the Nashville community is going to come together in a massive way to help and rebuild where needed. Um, So we're, we're thinking of all of them. With me this evening is Rosanna Berardi, and Rosanna is the managing partner of Berardi Immigration Law Firm based in Buffalo, New York, and she's going to be with me in just a moment to share her story. Um, If you're new to the show, be sure to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors bringing you their own expertise and inspiration around your health, finance, technology, business, and leadership. And of course, for all things related to the show, including our lineup and our newsletter, sign up subscription, visit us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And if you're social, we also are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn as well under Women to Watch. So now I'm thrilled and honored to welcome to the show Rosanna Berardi, again, the managing partner of Berardi Immigration Law. Rosanna, welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful. I understand you're joining us from Buffalo, New York. And, I am. Uh, 
Yeah, the, uh, getting some good weather there today, which is always nice to hear. Mm-hmm. We've had a very mild winter, so everybody in Buffalo, we're, we're almost wearing shorts, even though it's March. <laughs> Don't jinx yourselves. you got to be careful, right? For real. I wanted to uh, begin with uh, a little bit about your background, and in looking over your bio, I would imagine that your dad's own immigration story is something that influenced your journey. And I wonder if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about his own beginning. Sure. So I'm a first-generation Italian-American immigrant to the United States, and I'd like to think that my roots have a lot to do with my, what I call calling in life, which has been to be an immigration lawyer. Um, My dad immigrated from Italy to Canada in 1954. He was 14 years old. He was an orphan. His mother died in childbirth, giving childbirth when he was three. And his father died of of what they say was an aneurysm when he was 14. So he lost both of his parents at a very young age and left Italy to to join his sister in Canada um, without knowing a single word of English and without having any education beyond about fifth grade. So imagine going from sunny Italy, he was from southern Italy, to Sudbury, Ontario, which is about five hours north of Toronto, a very, very cold, cold climate. Um, And he really is the American dream. Um, Fast forward a whole bunch of years later, and I'm a a U.S. immigration lawyer. My brother's a dentist. Um, My mother and my father were all about education and school, and they didn't care what we were as long as we were educated. And I really feel like in my DNA is is the immigrant journey. You know, sometimes I think about <clears throat> having married into an Italian family and, and you know, the, the, the older generations uh, of Italian fathers are sometimes old-fashioned. And it seems that uh, both your parents really did encourage the education in order for you to become an independent woman. Definitely. And, and neither of my parents had formal education. Uh, my father wound up going um, to hairdressing school and opened a hair salon, and my mom was a hairdresser too. Uh, neither of them had formal education, but they knew. My father was smart enough and my mother was smart enough to know, despite their lack of formal education, that the only way that we could succeed and do better than they did, which was pretty good, um, was through education. So they didn't care if we worked. They didn't care what our hobbies were. School was number one, and that's all that mattered. And it was not. it was never negotiable. So... We went to school, we worked hard, and um, it, it worked out really well. So I understand that in 1964, your parents opened their own um, hair salon, and but also purchased 10 apartments um, that they rented for over 20 years. Did As a kid, were you helping in, you know, in either of the businesses? So my parents opened a hair salon called Bellissima Hair Fashions, which Bellissima means beautiful in Italian. And um, neither of them knew anything about running a business, but they did it the old-fashioned way. They worked hard, and they forged really strong relationships with their with their clients. My parents used to drive some of the elderly people that would come in to get their hair done home and pick them up to get their hair done and do all kinds of extra things. And, and I saw that as a kid. Now, they never wanted my brother and I involved in the business. They didn't want us to be hairdressers. They wanted us to be professionals. 
Um, but we certainly saw what they were doing day in and day out. And with respect to the apartments, my father thought, how am I ever going to educate two kids in America with limited income? So he and my mother bought these apartments that I spent a lot of time as a kid on the phone when people, you know, this was before the internet, people would call and say, I'm calling about your apartment for rent that I saw in the newspaper. And I would read to them, you know, the spiel of, yes, it's three bedrooms and this is a location and these are the utilities. So my brother and I were involved in, in that. And my dad was his own property manager. He didn't hire somebody to fix things or paint. So after working all day at the hair salon, then he'd go to the apartments where he was always pulling out a rug or painting or fixing a toilet. Um, and that's how we lived for a long time. The apartments were not sold until I graduated from law school. Um, oh, wow. So for, for the better part of 25 plus years, that's that was the only thing I knew. That was my family. And that's what we did. Mm. I always think that, you know, when you grow up with um, parents who are entrepreneurs, you can't help but learn um, from watching a, about work ethic, right? You're, you're working harder and they're, they're bringing the job home. It never stops. Um, I wonder if you can describe the memory of the day that your dad became a naturalized citizen. Yeah. So as I said earlier, my father started his journey in Canada and ultimately met my mother, who was a U.S. citizen. And when they got married, they decided to live in Buffalo, New York. And my father and my mother were hairdressers. Um, and I remember one day when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my father was putting on a suit. And I thought someone had died because <laughs> my parents just... My father <laughs> he never wore a suit. suit. Every day. Right. <laughs> um, and, and he was like, no, I have to go downtown um, to downtown Buffalo Courthouse I'm going to be a naturalized U.S. citizen. And I didn't even really know what that meant. I mean, I knew he was from Italy. I was 10 years old. But I remember how excited he was and how important it was. And he took a day off of work, which never happened. And he mm. wore a suit. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is this is a big deal. Like, this is not something that goes on, you know, day in and day out. And that, that memory has always stayed with me and, and made me always aware of the fact that it was something he never took for granted. Mm -hmm. And today he's 80 years old and still he's all about America. Um, we didn't we didn't speak Italian in our family. I don't speak Italian, nor does my brother, because he felt like he was an immigrant. He was in the United States. He wanted us to speak English and be professional. So neither of us speak Italian. Mm. That's a great story, though. What a great memory. We're going to go into our first break, Rosanna. Uh, stay with us for our Tech Watch. We'll be right back. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. Last week, I talked about the lack of women in the technology industry and why it matters. To recap, when men and women work together, their complementary traits create innovation in the workplace, and technology is all about innovation. 
Although more companies are including women in their technology roadmap through succession planning, the percentages of women earning computer science degrees keeps decreasing. This approach won't solve the problem if women are not available for the roles. It's a vicious cycle. To break the cycle, we have to address the issue top-down and bottom-up in parallel. This week, we'll discuss some top-down approaches. Many organizations are taking action through gender equality programs and leadership development. Companies are pairing high-performing women with mentors regardless of gender. Mentors at a higher level in the organization help them prepare for their future and provide the visibility of what's needed to advance. Executives are insisting that non-discriminating policies be enforced. One client I work with doesn't reflect salaries to their hiring managers and controls all negotiations to ensure gender equality. Organizations like Women in Technology International are also addressing the issue. They inspire and advocate for women in the technology industry. This organization doesn't discriminate against gender, but instead works side by side to provide mentorship, to lead by example, to close the gender gap and create interest for young women. Programs like this one, Women to Watch, are inspiring and encouraging more women to pursue leadership roles worldwide and influence women through their stories. There are more women advocacy organizations and mentorship programs being formed, and it's incredible. However, marrying the top down to a bottom-up approach is critical if we want to see results. Stay tuned for next week's segment where I'll address the bottom-up. You can reach me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Welcome back. I'm speaking to Rosanna Berardi this evening. She is the managing partner of Berardi Immigration Law, um, which I should mention is is an award-winning firm, international. And, um, you know, Rosanna has has done some incredible things in the field of immigration law, which we will get into. Uh, One of the things... Rosanna, I wanted to bring up was the fact that when you were young, you wanted to be an English teacher. And I'm wondering when and why that changed. Yeah, so I always really liked reading and writing. Those are always my strong suits. I wasn't a math or science person. So when I decided to go to college, I thought, well, I like to read and write. What can I do with that? I think I'd like to be a teacher. So for the first two years, my major was English education. I was going to be a high school English teacher. And that was going just fine, and I was doing well academically. And then it came time to do a teaching placement. And I went to a school in in Buffalo and observed the dynamics of high school teaching, which was tough. And I just couldn't see myself doing that. Um, It was just, you know, Oprah says they're aha moments. And I was just, I still remember to this day, almost 30 years later, exactly where I was sitting in the, in the high school I was observing, thinking, nope, this isn't for me. <laughs> mm. And I went, I went back to college, and I remember walking down the hall, and, and I thought, hmm, I'm an English major. I know I want a graduate degree. I think I'll be a lawyer. And uh, <laughs> went home and told my parents that, and they were like, oh, okay, um, you've never mentioned that before. And I said, well, <laughs> you know, I want a degree that's very flexible. And a law degree is amazingly flexible. You can do a million things. You can teach, you can litigate, you can be a judge, you can own a business. Um, I wanted a a degree that had all of that flexibility because I wasn't 100% sure. I didn't come out of the womb saying I wanted to be an immigration lawyer. Um, (laughs) And boy, that was the best decision I ever, ever made. Mm. Well, and of course, I would imagine a a lawyer will make a little bit more money than a teacher, 
Although, you know, wishing teachers did make more. Right. No, yeah. for sure. And and it but for me it was I you know, I, I'd like to think I was smart enough at that age to know that if I had stopped going to school, um, I would never go back. So I just wanted to go right through from undergrad to law school. And I did and and it was nice to be done at, at the age of twenty five. Mm, um, and have yeah. a law degree and then, you know, have your whole future ahead of you. Yeah. So I'm glad that it wasn't meant to be for me to be a teacher. I still I'm an avid reader. I love reading. We actually have a book club at my firm um, where we, you know, we all read the same book and we have a lunch and a discussion. So I still love all of that. But I'm happy that I didn't choose it as my profession. Mm. I would imagine, though, Rosanna, though, having, um, you know, spoken, <clears throat> excuse me, to you and, and learning a little bit about you that you're. You are teaching in your day to day, right? You you have a team of people, and um, as the leader and the head of the firm, there's probably always opportunities for you to be teaching because I know how important it is for you to run a firm that's different um, from some of the big law firms. Absolutely, and and I feel like I'm teaching all day long, but on a different level. So. You know, I'm teaching my staff in terms of how to interact with clients and make them feel like they're our only client. And and we have a lot of client love at this firm because we we do something that's crazy. We actually answer phone calls or respond to emails. Um, we are integrated in our clients' lives. And the number one complaint about lawyers is they never return our calls. And all they do is issue, you know, very large invoices. Um, so I'm, I'm teaching my team. I'm constantly educating the public and the media about immigration issues, particularly under the Trump administration. And not because a lot has changed, but the national spotlight has turned to the topic of immigration. Yes. And I've been an immigration lawyer for almost 25 years. And, you know, for about 22 of those people were like, oh, that's nice. You have this job. That's great. Um, When Trump was elected, people were like, whoa, you're an immigration lawyer. Tell me about that. This is super interesting. Right. So there's been a lot of policy changes. So we have a very extensive blog at the firm. I do a weekly video and I'm just educating all the time. I don't take a political side. I know both sides of an issue and I talk right down the middle to educate the public of, Hey, this is what this really means. Um, Because there's so much information out there. Now the media is just its own worst enemy in terms of getting stuff out and being on 24 seven and, Mm. you know, filling news channels that, there's a lot of misinformation. So we spend a lot of time doing webinars, videos, newsletters, blogs, just to educate. So I, I am teaching day in and day out. Yeah. And, and, you know, thank goodness you are, because really, you know, for the viewers, it's just confusing because of all the information. And it's, it's great that you're out there, um, you know, telling the truth about the issue. Um, I want to go back for a second because I loved this story. When you were in high school, I believe, you took a job. You saw a flyer, you know, for a job on the border. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> you didn't have any idea what that was going to be. But no. you thought, oh, that sounds cool. Uh, I'll go work on the border. Um, yeah. t- tell us about that. And then tell me what, you know, what you learned from that experience that perhaps has helped you as an immigration lawyer today. Yeah, it's really interesting. You never know where the path is going to lead sometimes. And I was actually in my early part of my college career, and I saw a flyer in front of the career services office to work for what what then was called the Immigration and Nationality Service. I'm sorry, Immigration and Naturalization Service. It's now called Customs and Border Protection. Um, And, you know, living in Buffalo, 
crossing the border is a way of life. You know, you go back and forth to between Buffalo and Canada very easily. It's about a 20 minute drive. So I, I knew what the border was. But the only thing that attracted me to this job was that it was a federal job and it paid well. And I was looking for a summer job. I was, you know, working at the local supermarket and I thought, oh, this government job pays a lot more. I'll just do that. Not having a clue, <laughs> not having a single clue what I was getting into. So June 1st of 1993, I was hired by the federal government um, as what they called a co-op student. And what that was is I spent the summer at the U.S.-Canadian border, and there's a few ports of entry in the Buffalo area, and I shadowed the immigration inspectors. So I would sit with them outside on the primary booths when cars would come through and watch them do an inspection and say, citizenship, anything to declare, you know, where are you going? And, and at that time, compared to now, it was very loosey-goosey. You didn't need a passport. Nobody was scanning your license. Um, it was just a more of an honor system than, than it is today. Mm. Um, and in doing that, I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. This is a really neat summer job. And I saw people from all over the world. And one of my jobs was I was in charge of processing all of the tour buses so people from Japan would get off a bus and I'd have to stamp all their passports and it just exposed me to the whole world and the whole world of immigration and when I think back to that summer that summer was the foundation for my entire career wow Um, wow I have only only been in the immigration business since June 1st of 1993 never unemployed for one second and I've never done anything but U.S. immigration law wow You're certainly an expert. Um, Listen, we're going to go into our next break, Rosanna, and stay with us for our Finance Watch. You're listening to Women to Watch. We'll be right back. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Hi, this is Terry. And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. March is Women's History Month, so we'd like to highlight some of the women who have had an impact on the financial world. Maggie, who should we start with? The first woman we think of in the world of finance is Abigail Adams, wife of John Adams and first lady from 1797 to 1801. She followed her intuition and started investing in government bonds during the Revolutionary War, earning much higher returns than their farm did. Victoria Woodhull may have been the first to disrupt the world of finance by opening her own brokerage house with her sister in 1872. Isabel Benham became the first woman to work on Wall Street. She was a bond analyst in the 1930s, and her specialty was the railroad business. In 1964, she became the first female partner in any Wall Street firm. Then there's Muriel Seibert, the first woman to purchase a seat on the New York Stock Exchange in 1967. Bloomberg wrote that Seibert called her stock exchange member badge the most expensive piece of jewelry she ever bought. According to her New York Times obituary in 1919, Sarah Breedlove was the country's first female self-made millionaire. I'm also in awe of women like Janet Yellen, the first woman chair of the Federal Reserve, and Christine Lagarde of France, the first woman to be managing director of the International Monetary Fund, now president of the European Central Bank. 
I follow Sally Krawcheck, who was a guest on Women to Watch in 2016. She's been recognized by Fortune and Forbes magazines as one of the most powerful women in business. And in 2016, she also started Elle, an online investment advisory firm for women. We should also mention Ande Frazier, who spoke at one of our Fortis Women's Forums last events last year. Ande is CEO of MyWorth LLC. She's a Forbes writer, thought leader, and money educator. She's made it her mission to break down the emotional, behavioral, and societal barriers that stand between women and strong financial foundations. And we would also like to recognize Sue Rocco for her leadership and support of women everywhere, women to watch, and all the watch teams. We are so proud to be associated with so many talented and generous women. Thank you for everything you have taught us so far. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Thanks for being with us. I'm joined by Rosanna Berardi, the managing partner of Berardi Immigration Law, based in Buffalo, New York. Um, I wanted to talk about your uh, the launch of your practice. And, and between 2005 and 2006, within that very short time frame, you started your own practice, you built a house, and you had a baby. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> How did you manage the stress of all that? What was that? And, and also, no, I was I was like 33 years old. So I was, you know, I, we got married, um, started the practice, built a house, had a baby, all things that I hoped and dreamed for, but they all landed in one year, um, which was, it was a very, very difficult few years. Um, and And I've said, you know, the birth of my son was the best of times and the worst of times because I was used to being a worker. I was... You know, I came off of a, a big law firm gig for six years before I started my practice. I was used to being out with people and traveling and didn't realize having a baby could be very isolating, um, mm-hmm. especially in today's world where most women work and there's not a lot of people in the neighborhood during the day. And I remember my husband going to work and being really jealous, thinking, what am I going to do here all day with a crying baby? Um, <laughs> and again, all things I had hoped and dreamed for. But to do that all in one year, I mean, I think I'm still tired from it. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> but you got through it. You got through it. Um, you know, you mentioned the, bi- the big law firm. And I-, I was interested to know what it was exactly. You worked for six years um, at the largest firm in Buffalo. And um, tell me what it was about that ex- experience working at a big firm that you did not like. I know that, you know, there was a moment, again, perhaps another aha moment where you thought, you know what, this is not for me. I need to do my own thing. Yeah, for sure. And I look back at those days at the big firm very fondly because they taught me a lot of things, not only about practicing law, but about myself and who I am and the best element for me. And the big firm model, there's there's a lot of lawyers and there's a lot of expenses and I learned tons and tons of things about clients and complex transactions, and and it was a great learning experience. But as I observed over time, I felt like the client was always taking the back seat because in a big firm, there's pressure to bill a certain number of hours um, to make a certain amount of revenue for the firm. Mm, yes. Excuse me. And I just felt that it just didn't sit right with me. So I I like to think that I took all the good things from the firm. Um, and then flipped it into my model of working. Okay. Yes. Um, 
I want to share a quote. Um, you said that I've incorporated, we spoke about your dad at the top of the show a lot, but I wanted to share this quote. You said, I've incorporated my mom's heart into my daily practice and donated over $100,000 to local charities in her name and in her spirit. Tell me about your mom. Uh, So this is a tough one. Uh, My mom's been gone for about eight years. Uh, My mom was the kindest, hardest, hardest working person you'd ever meet with the biggest heart you would ever meet. She would help anybody with anything, um, you know, in the hair salon, driving customers back and forth. She later shifted careers and worked in a nursing home and cleaned rooms in a nursing home <clears throat> for years and years. And she would actually get in trouble there because she would bring the residents their home-cooked Italian food um, because mm. they, they didn't like the institutional food. Um, and she would bring them homemade sauce or lentil soup or you know, things they hadn't had in years. And that was my mom's spirit. And unfortunately, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease the year that we were married, the year that we did everything. My mom was also diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And, you know, fortunately, um, she was around for my wedding and the birth of our son. And she passed away in 2012. But I'll tell you, the bottom fell out of my world. I never understood what it would feel like to lose your biggest fan. And my mom was sick for a long time. We knew the inevitable was coming, but nobody can prepare you for that. And, you know, I think of her most days, all day, every day. She's in my thoughts in every decision I make. And when I can do anything to support my community or a family member or anybody, I know my mom would do that. I can do it at a greater scale because I own a business and I'm a professional. But all the little things that I saw my parents do over those years were the the blueprint for how I live my life and how I run my firm, which is very different than a typical law firm model. Now, don't get me wrong. I have expenses. I have employees. We have to make money here. Yes. Um, But really, we focus on our clients and we focus on our community. And one of our core values is to support the community and have fun. And we've done that a variety of ways. Um, We've helped kids at the Ronald McDonald house who are sick. We've, we've done bedroom makeovers. Um, we cook for sick families. We, I purchased glasses for a little boy who couldn't see. That's all the stuff that if that came across my mother and my father's house, they would definitely do. But I've been empowered to do that and I've learned from them how to do it. So for me, it's, it's, it's so rewarding, so gratifying to be generous and to be able to help those around us. And for me, it carries out who I am, what I learned, how I was raised. And I know I'm talking to you now and I have a picture of my mother in front of me because I know she would just be delighted over the moon that I was talking about this. Mm. Well, you're not just talking the talk, you're walking the walk because you were recently uh, voted best place to work. Um, You did receive that award in Buffalo. So Mm -hmm. that's a you know, what a wonderful um, acknowledgement um, from your employees and your staff, your team. Yeah, I really have a special team here. So there's about 18 of us. Um, if you could believe this, it's all women and one man. And that was not deliberate um, and not designed that way, but just sort of happened. And when I tell people I have, you know, mostly all female staff, they say, oh my God, it must be so stressful. Everybody must be backstabbing and not getting along. And We have a great culture and a great team here because people are happy to come here. It's a nice environment. We do a lot of things together. 
Um, we also do a lot of things for our community. We just <clears throat> last week went to the local Ronald McDonald house and the whole team cooked a meal for the families that were staying there. You know, we made pasta and meatballs and garlic bread and my team loves doing that stuff. It's fun. Yeah, I'm and getting... Not only are we working with each other, but we're giving back at the same time. So I'm really, really proud of that award. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy that our employees, you know, love to walk through the door. We all have to work. You know, it is part of life, but I've, I wanted to create a firm that was different. I didn't want to come to a firm that wasn't fun. Mm. Um, so I have a lot of fun here. And sometimes people say, well, geez, do you guys do any work? We work very, very hard, <laughs> but we also have a lot of fun. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to take our last break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your work and who are your clients and, and what are mm-hmm. you doing in the field of immigration. Stay with us for our Health Watch with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We'll be right back. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Now. Women to Watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We know that colon cancer is common, often deadly, but preventable. But what screening test do you choose? We most often do colonoscopy. It's comprehensive. We look directly at the lining of the entire colon, and if we find any polyps, we remove them during the exam. And if we find early cancer, easier to help you. One-stop shopping. Stool tests. Here's how they work. Blood is food to help cancer grow. So if there's cancer and it's seeping blood and a stool moves past the tumor in your colon, it picks up blood and we look for it in your stool. Then if we find the blood, we do colonoscopy to look for cancer or any polyps. The original stool test was detecting blood from the rare hamburger you had yesterday or blood you swallowed when you brushed your teeth or even from hemorrhoids. These were false alarms leading to unnecessary testing. Now the stool test is called FIT test, fecal immunochemical test. It's more accurate, doesn't get confused by blood from your diet, and only registers blood from your colon, not your upper half. You get this once a year. It may find cancer, not always polyps. The newest stool test also tests for DNA. It's more sophisticated, but it misses about 8% of cancers and a lot of precancerous polyps. It's expensive, so you can only have it every three years. So if it misses a cancer today, it has three years to grow before you look again. There's also virtual colonography, which is a CAT scan, which means x-ray exposure and a bowel prep. And if any of these tests are positive, you need colonoscopy anyway. So talk to your doctor about the best test for you. The best screening test is the one that gets done. Join the Blue Lights campaign for colon cancer awareness. Turn your porch light blue. Dress the front of your home or business in blue. Take a picture with family or friends and dress in blue. Send photos of your home, business, or you in blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. Website, bluelightscampaign.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Rosanna, we've been talking a lot about you and your background and your your story and your journey, and we should talk a little bit about your work. And um, I understand you can share with our audience a little bit about what's happening around this coronavirus and travel. And it obviously is, um, you know, affecting 
immigration. What can you share with us? Yeah. So we're we're trying to stay up to date. This is this is a moving target. Um, The government's coming out with new policies and rules practically every hour in response to the coronavirus. And what we're seeing is um, a lot of our, our clients are multinational corporations that, you know, might be based in London, England, and they're transferring people and executives back and forth to the U.S. We're seeing a lot of our multinational clients suspend all business travel um, in and out of the U.S. And we're seeing a lot of conferences canceled. Um, a lot of professional events are being canceled in the U.S. And we're also watching the Trump administration look very closely at certain countries that are hotbeds of the virus, Italy being the most recent one, and and really issuing a, a level three travel advisory, which is pretty significant, which means no unnecessary travel. Um, and we expect that list of countries for no unnecessary travel to grow just by virtue of how Europe is set up. Europe is small. It's very easy to get in and out of different countries without passports. So it's easy to go from Italy to Spain to France. So I'm predicting that over time, probably in the next week or so, we're going to see a lot more of these no unnecessary travel bans um, through to other European countries. Has this ever happened before to this level? It really hasn't. Um, So this is new territory. And, Mm. you know, and speaking to my clients, it's a tough call as a corporation because you don't want to put your employees at risk. Right. But when you think about the millions and millions of dollars this is costing business, um, that's a legitimate concern as well. But I've seen all of our corporate clients err on the side of caution and say, you know what, for the next 30 days, we're just going to suspend all business travel. We're not going to have our annual meeting or annual conference. Um, And we've even seen it here at the border, the U.S.-Canadian border. The customs officers are asking people, have you traveled to China? Have you been to Italy? They're looking at If you're coming in internationally, they're looking at your passport and seeing if there are overseas stamps. So they're doing an additional layer of inspection that we've not seen before. Yes. And, you know, what's interesting, again, for those of us that aren't in the healthcare field, you know, apparently numbers for the flu, which happen every year, are still much, much greater. And there, there never seems to be any kind of change in in, you know, what we're doing. But I guess because this is a brand new virus, um, it's being taken a lot more seriously. Yeah, and I think they're afraid of of what the potential of it. So right. we're, we're used to living with the flu. People get flu vaccines. We know how that all works, but this is new. And I just read an article yesterday saying the coronavirus really isn't impacting kids and nobody knows why. And that's a great thing, but there's just so much unknown that I think people are really cautious and mm-hmm. and why put yourself at risk if you don't have to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, listen, Rosanna, I, I feel as though we can't share your story uh, uh, without talking about um, an experience, an incident that happened to you in 2012, and that was your diagnosis uh, with breast cancer. And I just want to know, I think when anyone ever hears that word, it must change their entire outlook on life. And I wonder if you can Talk about what that did to you. Absolutely. So 2012 was the worst year of my life because within a span of three months, my mom had passed away in July. And that November, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. I was 40 years old. Our son was six years old. Um, I, I still sometimes can't even think about how I got through that period of time. But 
I can tell you I'm better for it and stronger for it. I was not ever a person that took things for granted. I've always enjoyed my life, loved my family. Um, but the the passing of my mom and the diagnosis of breast cancer provided me with an entirely different lens to look through in terms of life. And I am so beyond grateful to be here. I am healthy. Um, I was lucky. I just had to have a mastectomy. I didn't have any chemotherapy or radiation. Um, I, I really was super lucky that it was detected early. And I thank God every day for the doctors that caught it. And I got a couple of second and third opinions and people said to me, wow, the radiologist that looked at your skin detected what was basically a snowflake in a blizzard. Um, it was so small and so minute, but that person saw it. And I, I thank God every day for that because early detection is the key. Um, especially for breast cancer. And, and, you know, the statistics totally support that, especially with one, one in eight women being diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, you know, the stats are high, but it's, it's changed me. It's changed every decision I've made. It's changed the life that I live. Um, we are tra- crazy travel people. We go to Disney five times a year. That's insane. Um, I love going to Disney. <laughs> we didn't get to talk about Disney. And, yeah. And, and I'm I'm going to do that because I want to spend as much time as I can with my family having fun. And and we do a lot of things that some people think this this woman is nuts, but I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And that's because I've gotten the second chance and I'm never going to take that for granted. You know, I, I so admire you for a lot of reasons. And, and when it, you know, you don't even realize this, but when you were just talking about what happened, you, you said, you know, I, I just had the mastectomy. I, I, I didn't have to have yeah. any any treatment. And that's so typical of, of women. I think mm-hmm. that's a big deal. You know, that's a big deal. And you described it so very nonchalant. Right. Yes. And and it was a huge deal. Obviously, yeah. major surgery. Um, but I feel so blessed because I've seen people and I have to follow up with my oncologist every year. And I go in the waiting room and, and I literally practically have a panic attack every time because yeah. there's so many people there fighting for their lives that are undergoing chemo and radiation. And I'm so thrilled that I could I didn't have to do that. And I could do cartwheels out of oh. that room every year yeah. when the doctor says, OK, you're good. See you next year. Right. Um, it, like those types of things. There's nothing, nothing in your life that can replace good health and that type of news. There just isn't. That's absolutely true. Um, and I know this carries over to you as a leader within your firm. And um, I, I'm so happy that you joined us this evening to share your story. And I hope that we're going to be hearing more from you, Rosanna. I'd love to. Thanks for having me. This has been great. And there's always lots to talk about. So I'd be happy to, to be on in the future. Terrific. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to our watch team of on-air contributors and sponsors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title every week on Women to Watch Media. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 